because I wouldn't tell anybody that I played fiddle. You that played was, fiddle? Yeah. And I wouldn't tell anyone. And I was living a pretty cool life. It was like a double life, like Miley Cyrus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Type thing. Like I'd come to school. I'm just a kid here at going to school, you know. But then I would disappear for weeks at a time because I'm on tour, touring around Canada, playing for the Queen of England, putting up big country music shows, playing in a stadium full of 35,000 people, being on TV. And then I'd come back here. Everyone's like, where were you? Welcome back to another episode of Rising Voices. Today, I have another special guest joined with me, as well as a new interviewer on my side here. I'm Ewan. And in front of us, we are joined with... Blaine Constant. And Blaine, can you tell us just a little bit uh, about yourself and what you do? Well, I am a 34-year-old Indigenous Cree man from Mississippi Creation, otherwise known as Grand Rapids, and Opaskwea Creation, otherwise known as the Paw. And I am a, um, a motivational speaker and workshop facilitator, and I own my own business now doing this. The reason that I got into this work is, you know, just over 10 years ago, I was homeless living on the streets of Winnipeg. And what led me to becoming homeless was my addictions. And what led me to my addictions was my trauma. What's important for people to understand and why I take this work so seriously is I want people to understand addiction and trauma a little bit better. I always ask the question to create awareness. I'll say, by show of hands here, who here knows somebody that's addicted to drugs and alcohol? All the hands go up. And I say, what's important for you guys to know is that anyone you know that is addicted to drugs and alcohol never imagined themselves becoming this way. It wasn't part of the goal. It wasn't part of the plan. It's just something that happens along the way. And so when people hear that, you know, they, they start thinking about their own loved ones in their life. And then I say... Now you take a look at the huge homeless population we have here in Winnipeg. Do you think any of them thought this was going to be their life? No. It's because it wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of the goal. The other side that people need to know is addiction is an attempted form of an escape. Maybe they're trying to escape thoughts, reality, fear, trauma, heartache, something. They're trying to escape something. And I did this for a number of years. Ten years I tried to escape. That 10 years led to me becoming homeless. So, you know, I take what I do very seriously. I will never take it for granted. And I always be sure to speak from my heart, not my mind. Because what I want to do is to help others open that door for themselves. And I want to help build that fire back up inside of them. So that is what I do. What does being Indigenous mean to you? For myself, being Indigenous means being proud of who we are. You know, for years, you know, as, as, as we know in our history, you know, we were led to believe that we were born wrong, that we were, you know, not living a civilized manner, so to speak, you know. And so when colonization and all this stuff happened, they came and they changed everything about our way of life and how we lived. And, um, you know, so a lot of us, as this intergenerational trauma went went down, was passed down, you know, um, a lot of us felt like we were born wrong. We felt like we didn't really have a place in this world, a place in this life. Uh, and a lot of us entered into survival mode. 
A lot of us never learn to love ourselves. So to me now, because I have broken many cycles in my life, many cycles that would have been passed down, that were passed down, and that I would have eventually ended up passing down myself, but I broke those cycles. You know, I, I went through a, a cycle of abuse in my life, started at the age of five. And that cycle of abuse was, you know, passed down from his dad and his dad's dad and his dad's dad. And it just kept going until finally it reached me. And I broke that cycle of abuse. So I've been learning so much about myself, about my life, about what it means to be um, a human being in this world, what it means to be indigenous. I never got to learn about my roots and my culture until I was 26 years old. So I have been learning about our history. I've been learning about what my, you know, the, the people think that all this stuff was so long ago, but my parents were affected by residential schools. They went to residential, they went to day school. My grandparents, my, them before that and all this stuff, you know, this wasn't that long ago. So, you know, I am grateful to break these cycles I am learning to let go of survival mode. I am learning to love myself. And all of these three things are a part of breaking that cycle. And, you know, we all deserve to love ourselves, every single person in this world. And I'm so grateful to share it, not just with my people, not just with, you know, the First Nations people, but with everybody. And so being Indigenous to me represents being proud of who we are because we have we have had a beautiful way of life and I'm so glad that it's coming back that ceremony and culture is is being introduced to so many people's lives now because for years and years we couldn't practice our ceremonies for years and years we couldn't identify with our culture we couldn't even speak our language as these cycles get broken we are going to start getting all of this stuff back our ceremonies are coming back so strong and I love that when I go to these ceremonies and these lodges that they are filled because there was a time where they had to keep it hidden. They had to go far off into the bush to have this. And if they were caught, they were in a lot of trouble. It's not like that anymore. And now the young people, the, the, the people my age, the ones older, they're all finding their way back to their culture. And what I love is they may not even know they had this longing because their spirit has this longing. This is why so many times, and I see this all the time in my line of work, when the drum is at an event, when the drum is in the room, when the drum is in the house kind of thing, the moment they hit that first beat, there are people in that crowd who will start to cry. That drum opens that door for them. They hear this is the first time they got to hear the drum, and that's sadly the case for a lot of communities and a lot of people. They never got to hear the drum, but the moment they hear that first beat, they start to cry. That's because their spirit recognizes this. Their spirit is welcoming this, this sound back into their heart. And this feels like home. So, you know, uh, to me, indi being indigenous means reclaiming our power. It means being proud of who we are. It means breaking these cycles, learning to love ourselves. And, you know, that, to me, is what being Indigenous is about. You know, there's been all these misconceptions, and we've been portrayed 
in a wrong manner on TV and on you know movies and stuff like that. But there's so much more than what is shared on TV. Those are misconceptions. Those are, that's mistruth. Indigenous communities, indigenous people are people. They are human beings. And it's a beautiful way of life. I am grateful that I began learning about my roots and my culture and who I am at the age of 26. And what I'm especially glad for, for, for everyone after, is that they're getting to learn about that at a younger age. You know, people are getting to learn now at 12 years old, at 8 years old, 5 years old. When I see the kids at the ceremonies, man, that's a beautiful thing because they are opening this huge, huge door for themselves, whether they realize it or not. That, to me, is what being Indigenous is about. It's gorgeous. Because I wouldn't tell anybody that I played fiddle. You that played was, fiddle? Yeah. And I wouldn't tell anyone. Uh, for some reason, I felt like it was something to not be proud of back then. And I, I was worried at how my peers would respond to it, you know. And I was living a pretty cool life. Uh, it was like a double life, like Miley Cyrus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Type thing. Like I'd come to school. I'm just a kid here at going to school, you know. But then I would disappear for weeks at a time because I'm on tour, touring around Canada, pl- playing for the Queen of England opening up big country music shows, playing in a stadium full of 35,000 people, being on TV, and then I'd come back here. Everyone's like, where were you? I said, what do you mean? I was here the whole time. I just wouldn't tell anyone. And then uh, the teachers knew because they'd ask me, like, so where have you been? And I'd say, tell them because Mr. Chachnov, the principal, knew. And so then they kept begging me to be willing to share that with the school. I said, no, you know, I don't want to do that. That's my, my business, my life. And... They kept bugging me, kept bugging me. So finally I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I said, the only way I'm going to do this is if Rick Simons helps me and he backs me up on the guitar. And he was more than down for it. So the way that they did it that time was because uh, the talent show, they had the stage and the lighting and all this stuff. Um, stage went dark. Rick goes and grabs his guitar in his seat. And then uh, the spotlight comes on him and he's playing guitar, opening up the song. So everyone thought this was like, they're like, yeah, they start cheering for Rick. And nobody knew that I played fiddle yet. And next thing you know, Spotlight comes on me and I'm playing. The whole place just erupted. It was just screaming and cheering and going nuts. And I wasn't like, it still gives me goosebumps thinking mm-hmm. about that. And that was one of the best shows of my life was playing that talent show here. Because guys that I had, you know, uh, we had issues with each other for the longest time. There was now a newfound level of respect. They're like, dude, why didn't you tell me you played the fiddle? And it's like, I don't know, man. I just didn't think to tell anyone you know and so that was one of the best shows of my life was here at elmwood high when did you learn to play the fiddle i was 11 years old um I, a program came to our school uh, the, with the frontier fiddlers and they asked uh, you know who here is interested in, in music we have a fiddle program and they gave us a questionnaire for me i'd been wanting to play since i was four because i used to go to these square dances with my grandma mm-hmm. and i just loved the atmosphere I loved how much fun everyone would have. Um, You know, the whole room would just light up when the band would start playing. And I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. But I didn't know how to dance. I was too shy to dance. So I thought, you know what? I want to be on that side of the stage. And so I had this desire to play since I was four. When I got the opportunity when I was 11, I took it and I ran with it. And about eight months into playing, I became a teacher for the Métis Federation here in Winnipeg. 
Um, I got invited to be on the radio um, on a show that I grew up listening to, so that was huge for me. And then things took off from there. Next thing I was getting all these TV appearances and radio shows and uh, huge opportunities to travel across Canada. And by the age of 12, I was living a much different life than I ever anticipated for myself. So it's pretty amazing. And skipping school to pursue it. Skipping school to pursue it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like I would always take my work with me, you know, and and try my best to keep my grade levels up. And I still always managed to pass and everything like that. But the school was very supportive. My teachers were very supportive. The principal, uh, they really believed in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And they were so proud of me, even though, you know, I was – a problematic child at the time, you know, like high risk, high needs, and was very angry and destructive at times. They saw through my music and the passion that I had for it that there was another side to me that I needed to let, that I needed to nurture and grow, you know. But I was so busy at that time trying to prove myself to the world or something or prove myself to the hood and whatnot. And, but they, because they saw something in me that I couldn't at the time, I I took that and I ran with it too. You know, like it was, uh, I never once believed in myself growing up, not for any reason. I was never proud of myself. So them believing in me and them being proud of me gave me a spark that I didn't know I needed. So it was huge. So um, you were playing in, in high school, I assume. And what about like after, after schooling, you continue playing the fiddle? Like after I was out of school and everything, yeah, yeah um, it just kept growing and growing. Um, you know, I was, I was touring around Canada. I was doing all these big shows, big opportunities, and I just I would always chalk my life up to the life of a musician. But that I got into music to entertain people and to provide a fun environment and atmosphere for everybody. You know, because it doesn't matter whether or not somebody likes fiddle, the energy behind it. They, they can pick up on that. They can have fun with it. So um, that was the reason I got into fiddling and to music. But because I was so young and impressionable, um, when partying started becoming a normal thing that I was around on the road, I started to think, you know, rock star life, life <laughs> musician. And ultimately that thought process is what led made uh, falling so deep into the addictions because, you know, I thought, well, this is how I'm supposed to be, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm supposed to be out here partying. I'm supposed to be living this way. I'm supposed to be, you know, and, but like I always tell people, you know, for, for a lot of people, for anyone that you know that is addicted to drugs and alcohol, they never imagine themselves becoming that way because I, I never thought I would become addicted. And even when I was addicted, I didn't realize it. Because for most people that are on a path of addictions, they don't realize that they have a problem until it's such a big problem. And then by the, by the time that they realize it, they feel like, well, you know what? It's too late. Mm-hmm. I'm a lost cause. I made my bed. I got to lay in it. And But it's so important for people to know that there is life beyond the addictions. And for a lot of people that are on that path, the thought of sobriety intimidates them. Because in their mind, they're thinking, wait, you mean I need to be sober forever? Mm-hmm. I can never drink ever again. It's kind of like, oh, I need to be sober to have fun. Yeah. And it's like, and that thought scares them away from it. Because that's what I used to think when people would say, Blaine, 
you got to get your life together, man. You can't keep living this way. And I say, you know, like it was in one ear and out the other because I would think to myself, I can't see my life without drugs and alcohol. You know, I can't. There's no way I could be sober forever. That's not for me. And I was looking at it all wrong. The thought of forever is a lot of pressure to put on yourself, especially, you know, when you're immersed in that life. So I needed to find a way to make it manageable for me. And that was just by being sober, just for today. What's very typical when it comes to sobriety, the language that's used is one day at a time. But it's become so cliche and said so much, it's in one ear and out the other. So when people hear that, you know, you just got to do it one day at a time, one day at a time. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's in one ear and out the other. So a simple change in the language that we speak, because our words carry so much power. Hey, you know what? You don't need to be sober forever. You don't even need to be sober for this week. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is just be sober just for today. And then people start thinking about that. And I say, you know what? The way I look at it, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is never really promised anyway. All that we actually ever really have in this life is today. And today I can manage. Today feels well within my reach. I can do today. But even if that was too much, then I just need to be sober for right now. Mm-hmm. I can do that. And I would look at my watch like, okay, it's seven o'clock, probably go to bed by <clears> 10. <throat> I just need to be sober for right now. What can I do right now to bring myself to a good place? Yeah. Always finding a way to make it manageable for me. But when I talk about this stuff, I always tell people, you know, that's not to say there's only one way to sobriety. Being sober just for today is what works for me. But I know people who have committed their life to to being sober forever, and that's what works for them. So this is all to say that as long as you are trying, you will find what works for you. And when people hear that, they're like, wow, you know, like now they have a couple different ways of looking at it. Before, before having the, that conversation, they were looking at just the one way. I need to be sober forever. There's no way I could do that. There's no way, you know. But hey, you know what? I could be sober for today. And so now, because I'm so, like, um, I'm over nine and a half years into the uh, path of sobriety and this new life, people will ask me, they'll say, oh, you're over nine and a half years now, so now you're probably sober forever, right? No. Still just for today, man, because you know what? For one thing, forever hasn't happened yet, so I'm not going to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tell them again, yesterday is gone and tomorrow is never really promised. All that we have is today. Today is what works for me. That's And living this way has helped me so much in my life, not just with sobriety, but on my mental health days. I'm a human being, and if I have those hard mental health days and I'm struggling, you know, I'll think to myself, because at those times, we start piling on the pressure. I feel so low right now. I feel so depressed or sad or whatever. How am I going to get through this week? It's Monday. I still have to get through the rest of this week. And then the rest of this month, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And they're just putting all this pressure on themselves. So what helped me with sobriety of just for today has helped me with those mental health days. It's like, you know what? I don't need to get through this week. I just need to get through today. What can I do today to bring me back to a good place? What can I do today 
to take good care of me. And so I started having to learn about that and figure that out. And as I kept moving forward, I just began connecting all these dots that would help me with that thought process and my mindset. And so not only did it help me with the mental health days, next thing you know, we hit a pandemic. The whole world shut down, you know. And because I am constantly putting out reminders for people on social media and because of the, uh, uh, you know, that I'm a speaker now, a lot of people were messaging me saying, hey, when do you think this is going to be over? I miss people. I miss going out. When do you think that this is going to be over? And I would say, hey, stop asking yourself that question because none of us know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to get through the pandemic. You don't need to get through this month. You don't need to get through this week. All that you need to do is just get through today. And the people would say, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to find something to do today to take care of me then. And I'd say, okay, there you go. That's a huge step in the right direction. Put all that other stuff down because none of us know the answer to that question. So you know what? We're going to find a way to make this manageable for ourselves. And for me, what's been helping me to get through this pandemic is just living for today. And each day that I do that, I'm so proud of myself. I've made it through another day. So, And during the pandemic, I started learning about self-care because at the time it felt like I was presented with two options. Self-care or self-destruct. So I decided to go with self-care. But when I used to think about that, self-care, all these, t- all these times I heard it throughout the years, I would always, when they'd say self-care, I would always think, that's for the women. Manny petty Face mask. Yeah, <laughs> face masks. And so that's what I always assumed. So I never gave it a second thought. I never browsed the idea of what but there's a reason why us women do it, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, now... Us men, we need to find our ways to that too. Mm -hmm. And what I've been learning about self-care is the most beautiful thing about it is that what you do for self-care doesn't need to make sense to anyone else but you. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful realization to have because it gives you back the power. You know, oftentimes we give our power and we place that into the world, you know, like, and what I mean by that is I didn't realize up until the pandemic that my plans My life was always dependent on others. So if I asked you guys, if there was a day that came around, I said, hey, what are you guys doing today? You guys want to go for ice cream? (laughs) No, no. Why would I want to go for ice cream? I'm busy, man. I can't go. So all degrees of no, right? Now I would find myself sitting at home like this, wishing for ice cream. And then I was like, wait, how does this make any sense? I'm depriving myself of something that I wanted to do all because these other people didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go for ice cream. So I grabbed my keys. I went out the door. I went to the forks. I grabbed some ice cream. I went to go sit by the water and I started watching the sunset. And I felt so good in that moment. So proud of myself that I decided to do this because what was the alternative? Sit at home and wish even more. So as I'm standing here eating my ice cream and just taking in this moment, these people recognize me from social media and they're passing by and they say, Hey, Blaine constant. Right. And I said, yeah, how you doing? Nice to meet you. And they start looking behind me. Oh, uh, who are you here with? I said, Oh, just by myself. Oh, well, what are you doing? I said, having some ice cream. And that lady goes by yourself. <laughs> and when she said it like that, it kind of made me feel ridiculous. You know, yeah. I was like, I was like, why uh, am I here by myself? Yeah. And you know, like, 
Had this happened a few years ago, I probably would have threw out my ice cream, went home, and felt ridiculous about trying to go out. I felt embarrassed. Yeah. But instead, when she said it like that, by yourself, I looked at her and I said, well, what's the alternative? I said, don't have ice cream. And she goes, (laughs) oh. She says, I guess so. She says, I never really thought about it like that because I'd be too worried about what all these other people would think. So right then and there, she admitted through different words, obviously, but it was a projection of her own insecurity. That's what that whole by yourself thing was. You know, that was just a projection of her own insecurity. So I said to her, I said, well, you need to put that down then. Because all these people that you're worried about what they're going to think and what they're going to say, do they contribute to your success or your happiness in life? And she goes, no. I said, well, then don't let them prevent you from it either. And she goes, huh. And she's thinking. And I love that because that's what I want to do. I want to open that door for, you know, different perspectives. I want to, you know, help people to gently open that door for themselves. So what I loved about it was two weeks later, she messages me on social media. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that today, for the first time in my life, I took myself out for something to eat. She said, I was so happy that I did because I was sitting at home bored. I asked my friends if they wanted to go out. Nobody wanted to go. So I I remembered what you said that day. And here I went out to a restaurant. I ordered myself my favorite dish. I was so happy that I did. Now I'm back at home relaxing. That was a beautiful day well spent. She says, so thank you so much for sharing that with me that day. I said, hey, thank you for sharing that with me. I said, I'm so glad you took yourself out today. I said, you know, keep doing that because you'll always be glad that you did, you know. And this is your story. You are the writer of your story. And when we realize that, you know, we don't always need others to go out and do these things. Because the truth is not everyone's going to want to do what you want to do. You know, I live a very different life. Like I'm very random. I'll be sitting at home on any given day in the summertime or whatever. And I'll think, you know what? I'm going to take my guitar and go sit at the beach in Gimli for a while. And I'll get my car. I'll <laughs> go sit at the beach. Now, if you ask people like, hey, what are you doing? You want to go sit at the beach in Gimli while I play my guitar for a bit? No. I watch you play. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to sit at home and play my game. I'm going to go to the casino. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. It's like, all right. I still go. And each time that I go out and do these things by myself and I'm having out there living my best life, I'm always glad that I did. Because what's the alternative? I'm just going to sit at home wishing for things. And, you know, like I remember living my life like that. 2015, that's how I was living. I wouldn't go out to do anything because I had nobody to go with. And so I just sat at home and then started feeling all that FOMO anxiety, you know, that fear of missing out. But we got to put that down too because social media, people will share parts of their life that they are comfortable with sharing. But we don't know what their life is like behind closed doors. And so I would be sitting there at home and scrolling Facebook, and then I'd see somebody going out for a nice steak dinner. Man, I wish I was having a steak dinner right now. Scroll a little bit more. Somebody's in Jamaica. Man, I wish I was in Jamaica. Somebody's at the casino with all their friends. Man, I wish I had a bunch of friends to go to the casino with. And you know, like I was just constantly feeling like I was missing out on something. But a lot of what's portrayed on self on social media is just the parts of their life that they are comfortable with sharing. And what we have to know is maybe they needed that, 
that what they're sharing in that moment, that steak dinner, maybe that was the brightest part of their day that day. Maybe they're struggling in life. Maybe they have it really hard. Maybe they're facing depression. And this steak dinner is something that they are happy to take part of, happy for themselves. They're proud of themselves. This is saving them from themselves. So now that I have that understanding, I love that. Now when I scroll social media and I see people out there doing all these things, I'm like, I'm so happy for these people. I just sit here and I smile. and I'm like, yeah. right on, man. Look at all these people out there living their best life. And, you know, because we all deserve to. Yeah. We all deserve to, to find what makes us happy, what brings us back to a good place. Everybody in this life deserves that. And my hope is that people realize that sooner than later. Given that uh, you told me that in like your high school days or like when you were a teenager, you, you're falling in this uh, this hole and maybe going through some things and you, you wanted to build a name for yourself and whatnot. And now that you are a speaker and you're actually helping people with your experiences, what stage in your life did you realize that, that you wanted to make that change for yourself and you wanted to become a person that were to help these people? I've always known in my life um, that I wanted to help. When people, because of what happened to me in my life, that trauma that I endured from a young age, I remember at the age of six, I felt doomed because I was now a part of a cycle of abuse. And I thought, you know, at that point in time, my childhood had been taken away from me. And especially when he told me that that one night, you know, my dad did, did this to me, my dad, dad did it to him. I now felt doomed. And so all of my dreams and aspirations that I had, because when you're a young child, you know, you think to yourself, well, you know, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a teacher. I want to be this. I want to be that rock star, policeman, whatever. And I used to have those dreams and aspirations too, but all of that was taken from me. So now I can no longer think about what I did want to be. All I knew was what I didn't want to be. And that was him. So because I no longer had goals, dreams, aspirations when people would ask me at when I was young what do you want to be when you grow up I'd think about it and I'd say I want to help people and they'd say what do you mean what do you mean by that like like how I'd say I don't know I just want to help people and they say okay and they'd be trying to dive into that a little bit more like okay do you do, are you wanting to be like a doctor or a paramedic or like like how do you want to help people I had no idea all I knew was that I wanted to help and so it took some harsh lessons in life sometimes or, you know, reflecting on my own life and my behaviors and stuff to realize I wasn't doing that. Like when I came to this school, I was a bully. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and people that hear my story hear a lot of those mistakes. But when I always tell them the, the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life was being a bully. Because that was a mistake. All those other mistakes I made affected me and my life. That mistake of being a bully affected so many others. And I never realized how I was making people feel. And I used to think that because a group of people would laugh if I was picking on this person. I thought I was doing something good because these people laughed. So one day I was walking home with my sister. We are passing by Chalmers Community Club. And um, there was a big guy... Uh, coming towards us that I would often um, pick on at the time. And so I I guess, you know, somewhere in my brain, I wanted to try and impress my sister or make her laugh. And so we're walking and I said, hey, Tasha, I said, look at this, watch. And he's coming closer. And I slapped that guy. 
And she looks at me and she goes, what's wrong with you? And then she slaps me. And she says, I'm telling mom when we get home. And that was not the reaction I was anticipating to get. So when I looked at that guy, he was happy that I got a slap back. And, you know, like, understandably so, I guess. But when we got home, she did tell my mom. And then my mom came to talk to me in my room and she was saying, why are you acting this way? You know, I didn't raise you to be like this. Neither did grandma. She says, we raised you to treat others how you want to be treated. She says, why are you acting this way? I I don't know. I said, and then, so she left my room and I started thinking about that. I thought she's right. You know, they did always tell me to treat others how I want to be treated. I'm not doing that. Not by any means, you know, why am I doing this stuff? And so it started to sit heavy with me. And I was 16 years old when, when this was happening. And I was like thinking, man, you know, why, why do I do this stuff? So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, there's no need. These people never deserve to be treated like that. So the next day I came to school and I started apologizing to people. And they thought that I was up to something. They thought I had some kind of trick up my sleeve or something. But I came to school and I had to understand that they may not trust me right off the bat. They may not even believe my apology or think that I'm being real and authentic in this moment. So I was very careful how I went about it. I would see them and I would say, hey, 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 I just wanted to tell you that I'm really sorry for the way I've been treating you. You never deserved that. And I don't know why I've been acting that way all this time, but I just want you to know that I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that anymore. Half of the people that I was apologizing to were able to accept. And the other half, not so much. And I understood why. You know, that was the first big realization in my life was the first time I took a look at my own behavior because everything up until that point was always everyone else's fault. I was never taking accountability, never wanted to look at my behaviors or the way I was acting. It was just, well, it's because you did this. Well, it's because of that, you know, and it was always trying to make an excuse for my behavior. But that was the first time I ever took a real deep look inside of myself and thought, you know, this is not who I want to be. This is not helping this world to be a better place. This is not helpful. This is harmful. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's a mistake that I have to live with, though, for the rest of my life. High school was half my lifetime ago. But these people that I, that I had picked on and said mean things to and did all this stuff to, they are still affected to this day. It's half our lifetime ago, and they are still affected to this day, and that breaks my heart. You know, and I hope that they are gentle on themselves going forward. I hope that they can learn to love themselves. And I hope that one day, but I know that that may not always be possible, I hope that one day they realize that I genuinely am sorry for the things that I did because they never deserve to be treated like that. Nobody does. And, you know, since I, I, I'm grateful for all the things that I've learned in my life now because I've come such a long way and because I'm learning how to love myself, learning how to take care of myself, 
I'm helping others to open that door for themselves in their life. And that's such a huge thing because a lot of people from my generation and the ones before, a lot of us didn't realize we were in survival mode. And so we were never really living this life. We were just surviving it. But this life is meant to be lived, not survived. And so because we were in survival mode, we never thought about self-love. That was not a thing. That was not a topic of conversation. And the society that I, in which I grew up in led me to feel like if you love yourself, then you're full of yourself. If you're proud of yourself, then you're cocky and arrogant because that's what people would say. But I had to learn people will always have something to say, whether you're doing good in life or not so good. People will always have something to say and what they say is not mine to carry. I deserve to love myself. I deserve to be proud of myself. Everyone in this life does because only you know your story better than anyone else. I always tell people this. And when people come to events that I'm speaking at, these events are based around healing. So I tell them, the fact that you guys are here today at an event based around healing tells me so much about you. Because only you know the life that you lived. You know your story better than anyone else. You know, you could have chose to do something different today. You could have chose to sit at home and watch Netflix all day. You could have chose to go out and do something else with your time. But instead, you came to an event based around healing. And for that reason, I'm proud of you. And I hope that you are proud of yourself. And so, you know, just putting things in this gentle perspective helps so many others too. And now that you are helping others, how does that help you? Because I'm doing what I set out to do and what I've always wanted to do. You know, I never really had a career path in mind growing up. You know, the, the, the closest I'd come to having a vision of a career was my music. And with my music, I was doing that as well. I was helping others because it would pull them out of this funk. It would put a smile on their face. It would provide an atmosphere that was fun for them. And they dance and they laugh and they smile so I was doing, I was, I was helping to, to an extent with my music, but the fact that I'm doing this direct work with so many communities, agencies, schools, and everything like that, um, and I'm seeing the impact from the presentations and the work that I do, that is, um, that to me is knowing that I am doing what I've always wanted to do. And people ask me, how do, you, how do you get into this? Like, how do you do what you do? Eventually, I would like to become a speaker too, they say. Like, I would like to go out there and, and do what you are doing. I say, well, first things first. You got to take good care of you. That's the, the first step right there. You got to take good care of you and learn what that means. Because as you take good care of you, you are taking that time to fill up your cup. Taking good care of you is also taking good care of your loved ones because the truth is none of us can pour from an empty cup. I say, so you got to take good care of you. You got to learn how to live your best life. And by doing this, you are going to lead by example because you have more of an impact on this world than you may realize. And there are always people watching. Maybe it's the little ones. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your siblings, your cousins, your parents, whoever, you know, people are watching. And as you go on living your best life, 
that is going to start spreading to those around you. And it's just going to keep going because the ripple effects in this life are, are endless. You know, so as I take good care of me and I learned what that meant, others were, that were watching began to learn what it meant to take good care of themselves. And I've always been an open book in my life. I've always shared as much as I could. And so as I learn, I share. But I only share if I've learned something for it because I won't post something if I haven't learned anything from that situation yet. I need to learn the lesson here and how to move forward in a good way. So I do that by asking myself the right questions. Years ago, because I've lived such a such a how do I put this? A crazy life, I guess you could say. You know, it's been a lot of ups and downs and everything and a lot a lot of challenges, a lot of trauma, a lot of this, a lot of that. I always found myself asking, why me? Why do I have to go through this stuff? Why do I have to have such a hard life? But those questions were harmful to my mental health because those are questions I was never going to get the answer to. So I had to start asking myself the right questions. Instead of asking myself, why me? What's the point? Why bother? Why do I have to have such a hard life? I put all that down and I started to ask myself, wait. What can I learn from this situation? What can I learn to prevent it from happening again? But if it has to happen again, what can I learn to handle myself better the next time around? These are questions I can find the answer to. So if we ask ourselves the right questions, we'll find those right answers. But it's up to us to learn, you know, what those right questions mm-hmm. are. So I feel like I'm going to walk out of this room a new person today. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I love that. Like I'm just like listening and just taking everything in. That's beautiful. That that That's why I do this though, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I can put things into a perspective that people are willing to accept because – So many of us struggled with the idea of help. Mm -hmm. We did not want to accept it. We did not want to ask for it. But I was that way till I was 30 years old, and I'm 34 now. But what I had to realize for myself was the strongest people that I can think of in my life, the strongest people out there in this world, They need help at times too. So why shouldn't I? So I began sharing that with people. I say, you know, I get it. Accepting help is hard. Asking for it is really hard. But I want you to look at it this way. The strongest people that you can think of in your life need help at times too. So why shouldn't we? And then you see people start thinking about And that's what we want to do. We want to get people thinking. So, you know, I'm grateful that in the way in which I share things, the perspectives that I put, the gentle language that I use, allows people to accept this information fully. You know, they're not sitting there. No defense walls go up. No defense mechanisms. You know, nothing. They're just sitting here listening. And a lot of the times while I'm up there talking, They're listening, but they're also tying it to their own story. They're resonating with this. They are, you know, taking a look within themselves and and taking that accountability. And accountability is hard. It is at the beginning. 
but you get better at it. Just like anything else in this life, the more you practice something, the better you are going to get. I am incredibly proud of myself beyond words that I allow myself to be vulnerable, that I allow myself to be a human being, that I allow myself to ask for help, that I accept it when it's offered, because this is how I am taking good care of me, learning all of these things and accepting them. Because for years and years, I was that guy who was, you know what? I'm a man. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I don't need help. I got this. I'm a man. You know, toxic masculinity. You know, we, we, we tend to think that that's what being strong is all about. But that's just the message that was portrayed to us growing up, you know, especially for the men. Man up. Real men don't cry. Real men this. Real men that. I don't agree with that, though. You know? Men are human beings. We are all human beings. And that toxic masculinity mindset did not help me at all in my life. It actually made my life a lot more difficult because I wouldn't accept help. I wouldn't ask for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to cry I wouldn't allow myself to be sad. I wouldn't, you know, I was putting all this unrealistic pressure on myself, this impossible amount of pressure. But I'm always learning from myself and always learning from every situation, every experience, every day. And just the other day, I was speaking at a huge conference in Regina. And while I was finishing up my presentation at the end of the day, I began talking about my little brother that I just lost in November. And it was his birthday that day, our first birthday without him. And it's hard. All those firsts when you lose a loved one are going to be hard. You know, the, the first birthday, first Christmas, first this, first that. So it was hard. And when I woke up that morning, I felt sad and lonely. And I, my presentation was going to be at 9.15 that morning, but I felt really sad and lonely and I started thinking, I should be back in Winnipeg with my family right now because they were having a, f a feast and a gathering for him. And so I started feeling all of that, and I messaged my mom. And I was telling her, she says, you are where you need to be. She says, you know, Jordan was so proud of you. She says he always wanted you to keep doing this work. And if he was here right now, he would tell you, go out there and do what you need to do. You help people. You're saving lives. Go out there and do it. So... She was right. He was always so proud of me, and he would always tell me that. He was my little brother, but when I would come home and I would share with him the stories of what I'm doing out there and stuff and the impact that I saw, he would just have this big smile on his face, and he would say, I'm so proud of you. He'd say, look at how far you've come. He's like, remember how you were just like years ago? He's like, and now look at what you're doing with your life. He's like, I'm so proud of you. And so I decided to honor him that day by being who he saw in me. And that, that understanding has helped me so much with grief and as I move forward with grief in my life, to honor our loved ones by being who they saw in us because our loved ones will see things in us that we can't at the time. They will believe in us when we can't believe in ourselves. And so my little brother always wanted me to live a good life. And he was so happy when I began living that good life. 
just because he's not here on this physical plane of existence with us anymore, that hasn't changed. Because I'm a very spiritual person. I believe in the spirit world. And, you know, in other religions and whatnot, like, say, Christianity, they will call the spirit world heaven. And, you know, like, so we all believe in the same thing to a certain degree. We just call it different things, right? And um, our loved ones visit us in so many ways. I often hear people say when it comes to their loved ones and missing them, my, my brother hasn't visited me yet in my dream. My grandma, I never got, did get to dream about my grandma. She hasn't visited me yet. And I'll say, hey, yes, they have. I get it, though. I say, you know, those dreams are nice, and it feels like that's an actual visit from them because we feel like we see them physically in front of us, you know. And, and that's beautiful when that does happen. But they visit us in so many different ways. We just need to keep our eyes and our ears open and look for those signs. Now, my late ceremony teacher, um, on our last conversation that we had together, that woman taught me so much in the six months that I knew her. But this was our last conversation because her heart was not going to be going that much longer. She was told by the cardiologist that it's going to be any time now. So on that last conversation we're having, she says, you know, I'll always be with you. She says, whether it be a random song on the radio that reminds you of me or a random smell throughout the day that reminds you of me or this home, whether it be, you're driving down the road one day and all of a sudden I pop into your mind. That's me. She says, you just need to keep your eyes and your ears open. And I'm so glad she shared that with me because I've taken that forward. And as I, I've lost a lot, last year I lost a lot of people that were so important to me in my life. And that understanding of that has helped me immensely with with this grief and with all these people that I've lost because I will acknowledge those visits. So when she told me that, uh, the first time that it happened, when I first became a, a speaker, I was in a community in Ontario and I did not believe in myself at all yet. And uh, I was speaking in this community. I already did my presentation. Her spirit name was Little Turtle. Her name, her government name, I guess, so to speak, was Shirley, but her spirit name was Little Turtle. And so I'm sitting here after my presentation, I'm thinking, who am I kidding? How can I help anybody? How am I going to be of any help to any of these people? Because look at the life that I've lived. Look at how many mistakes I've made in my life. Look at the person that I was. I'm not going to be able to help anyone. Why am why am I kidding myself? Why am I doing this? And I'm just beating myself and my thought process was just spiraling downwards fast. And so I'm feeling really incredibly low here. Then out of nowhere, the leadership of that community, they say, can we get Blaine Constant to the stage, please? So I come up to the stage and they say, Blaine, on behalf of the leadership and on behalf of the health staff and the education committee, we would like to thank you for coming to our community and sharing all that you did. You really inspired so many of us here, and you touched our hearts. And so to show our appreciation, we have a gift here for you, they said. And we want to present it to you in front of the community so that we can show 
that level of appreciation. They said, so we have these little turtle earrings. And the moment they said, little turtle, I just looked down and my eyes immediately started watering. And I thought, that's you, isn't it? Because that was that sign she was talking about. And I took these earrings and I held them in my hand and my eyes were just watering because I really missed her. I looked up and I said, that's you telling me that I'm on the right path, isn't that? Thank you. And I, I allowed myself to cry here. And then I grabbed the microphone and I shared with them the significance of these earrings. You know, I appreciate this gift, but it means so much more. And I shared with them why and my understanding of all of this and that this was a sign from my, my teacher. And I was very real with them. I said, you know, just Two minutes ago, I was sitting here being hard on myself, thinking, how can I help any of you? How can I do this? You know, who am I kidding? And I shared with them all of what I just shared with you. And a lot of people in that crowd began to cry because it gave them a new understanding and a new teaching to move forward in their lives with. Because a lot of us have somebody that we miss that is in that spirit world. So when we now have the ability and the recognition to look for these signs... They help you so much with that grief because grief isn't going to go anywhere. We can't wish grief away. We can't, it's not just going to fall off our back one day. What we do is as human beings, we learn to grow around that grief and how to move forward in that good way. It's never going to go away. You are always going to miss your loved ones to some degree or another, but how you do that too and taking good care of you with that grief by honoring them by being who they saw in you, looking out for those signs, and living the life that they wanted you to live while they were here. So all of that has helped me so much. And, you know, I'm so glad I was able to share that with people because a lot of us do miss somebody that isn't here anymore. And, you know, my, um, my little brother, when he passed, that was incredibly hard for me. I entered into a state of darkness in the month of December and I could not pull myself out. But what I was so grateful for, even through all that darkness, was that I now have the ability to cry. Because I shared here when I did that presentation to the kids, I said, you know, I'm 34 years old. It has taken me 30 years of my life to learn how to cry. But now that I can, I'm so proud of myself because as human beings, we are meant to cry. We have been given tears for a reason. Those tears are meant to fall. The tears were not just meant for the women. They're meant for the men as well. That's why we've been given this ability to cry. Because no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how strong you think you are, how big you are, the truth is after a good cry, we all feel better. So one day in that, during the month of December, I was having an incredibly hard day. Uh, you know, I started thinking about him and started missing him and I fell down to the floor all of a sudden and I could not pick myself up off of the kitchen floor I cried there for four and a half hours on that floor but as ugly as that was as hard as that may have been I was grateful for the capacity to allow myself to do this because had this happened years ago I would not have allowed myself to cry I would have been sitting there bearing it all and, you know, pretending that I'm okay, pretending that I'm not hurt. And when we do that, when we bury that sadness, 
it turns into other things, you know, anger, addictions, rage, suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety can turn into a number of things that are not good for us. And there's this one saying that I always share with people that has helped me so much in my life. Anger is often sadness that had nowhere to go. So when we bury that sadness, it turns into anger. And that's the part that we are comfortable for whatever reason expressing with the world. You know, we're as human beings, we're quick to acknowledge two emotions, happiness and anger. But we always try to hide from sadness and we don't just try to hide it from everybody else. We try to hide from it ourselves too. But we're not doing ourselves any favor when we don't acknowledge those emotions that we are feeling. We feel this way for a reason. So as I was laying on the floor crying, I thought to myself, I am so grateful that I'm doing this right now because this right now, as ugly as it may feel, is what I need to do. And this is healing. This is going to help me. I'm so proud of myself that I can sit here and cry. And as ugly as this might all might feel right now, I'm grateful for the capacity to do so. Because, you know, if I didn't cry during the month of December, I don't know where I would be right now. You know, I would have kept burying all of those emotions and I would have kept burying everything. Maybe I would have fell back into a path of addictions. Maybe I would have fell into a really awful state of depression. I don't know where it would have went, but I know that by allowing myself to be that human being, by allowing myself to cry and feel what I was feeling, that's why I'm okay today. That's why I'm able to move forward in a good way. And, you know, I still miss that kid. I'm going to miss him every day for, you know, the rest of my life. But I'm choosing to honor him as I move forward. And, you know, there's going to be times where I'll be talking about him and I might start crying. And you know what? I'm not going to choke those tears back. I'm not going to stop myself. I'm going to allow myself to feel it in that moment. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable like this, in some way, it almost gives others the permission, so to speak, to be vulnerable themselves. By, by allowing ourselves to be a human being, others that are watching see that, hey, you know what? It's okay to be a human being. It's okay to cry. And they may not register it like that in that moment, but we are showing them and leading by example. So when I did that conference, I talked about, I said, you know what, you guys? I said, I'm so grateful and honored that you guys have asked me to come here today and be, and be the keynote speaker and to do these breakout sessions with you because you are all an amazing group of people that are dedicated and committed to helping this world. And that's what I am trying to do as well. I said, but what I wanted to share with you guys is that when I woke up this morning, I was really sad and lonely because today is my little brother's birthday. And we just lost him back in November. And it's been really hard without him. And so when I woke up this morning, I felt really sad and lonely and all this stuff. But, you know, spending the day with all of you has been absolute medicine for me too. And I'm so glad that you guys were able to take things from the presentation and the workshops that we had here today and all the laughter and the smiles and the healing and the, the crying that we did, did today all needed to happen. So I want to thank you guys so much 
for helping to make this day go by a little bit easier. You really helped me today. So I wanted to thank you guys. And while I was saying this, I was getting choked up and they could see that. And so people are looking at me and then they start crying. And what was so beautiful about this group of people and this day and this experience was when I, when I allowed myself to be vulnerable like this, they could now see a way to help me in this moment. And what they did was they called me back to the stage and they said, Blaine, we want to thank you so much for coming out and sharing all that you did. You really inspired and touched so many of us with your presentation this morning and your sessions today. Thank you so much for sharing all that you did. We would like to honor your little brother by singing happy birthday to him in the spirit world. They said, so here we go. And then the whole crowd sang happy birthday. And when they did this, I began to cry. And then others began to cry, and then they came to, to give me a hug. And, you know, it was a beautiful moment to be a part of, a beautiful experience to have. And it helped to open that door for other people that were in that room. So by allowing myself to be that human being, allowing myself to, to feel that vulnerability, to express myself, Without me even knowing or realizing, I guess to some degree now in this line of work, I do know that that's what will happen. But it helped others to open that door for themselves too. If we keep learning, we keep growing. It leads that it leads by example for all those others that are watching us. And through taking good care of ourselves, opens that door for others to take good care of themselves. So, you know. I'm grateful for these understandings of grief and what helps me for so many reasons, but I'm so grateful that it helps others too. But uh, what you're saying actually has a deep meaning because uh, I think young adults like myself, like, um, Especially like yeah, young men have problems with like crying, and I think, I think that really that really means a lot, especially especially to me actually. That uh, like we can, I now see it as like a different. I now see have a different view of it as yeah, we are we are people. I, I am a human being, and I have tears for a reason. And I think that really that really sits well with me actually. Well, I'm really glad for that, you know, because I'm so grateful for our young people like yourselves and everything because you guys are growing up in a generation that awareness is out there discussions like this are being had you know and we are talking about a huge message that i see out there that i am constantly putting out there myself is it's okay to not always be okay and you know when i learned that because i always felt like i had to be Big and strong. I always felt like I had to be on the up and up. I had to be Mr. Positive, Mr. That. But you know what? I'm a human being. And, you know, when I would tell myself, it's okay to not always be okay. Today I am sad. What can I do to take good care of me? What can I do to bring myself back to a good place after? Acknowledging that sadness is how we take good care of ourselves. Because now we are no longer burying it. And for years and years and years of my life, 
because I kept burying it and burying it and burying it. As human beings, we got very good at storing trauma. Um, I would often have a breaking point, just like anybody else. I would get so overwhelmed by all this weight that I was carrying, all this stuff that I buried, and then I would have, I would break down and I would cry. But then, what would happen after that cry is, I'd feel better. I could out of nowhere stand up a little bit taller. Now I, my, I don't feel all this heaviness on me. And I just let a bunch of things go, because that's what those tears do. Tears are the most natural form of healing that we have been given as human beings. And I always tell people, though, if you can't cry just yet, scream. Scream with the intention of getting it out. Because doing this is not harming anyone else. It doesn't hurt anyone else. And when you scream with that intention, though, that intention is so powerful. Because if you just go out in a field and you, you scream, you're just going to end up with a sore throat. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go out there and you know what, you're like, you know what, I can feel all this heaviness in my stomach right now. I can feel all this stuff in my body that I don't like the way I feel. And I can't cry right now, so you know what, I'm going to go scream to try and get this out. So you go somewhere and you scream at the top of your lungs with that intention, though. And you tell yourself that with every scream, you're getting a little bit more out. Now, what will happen from that screaming is it's either going to kick kick open that door for the crying. Because I know so many people who they'd say, you know, I did what you said, man. I went out to a field and I started screaming. And on that fifth scream, I fell to my knees and I started crying. Because we kick that door open in our brain. That door that we nailed shut for so many years, we kick it open. And now we start crying. And whenever people cry in their lives i tell them at the end of all that i'm so proud of you i'm so proud of you that you allowed yourself to be a human being and i'm so proud of you that you allowed yourself to feel what you were feeling because you felt that way for a reason it's so good to acknowledge that and you know when men do it especially uh you know when they're young like yourself and stuff i'm so happy for that because you know it took me 30 years of my life to learn how to cry. And so when you guys can open that door for yourselves at this young age, I have all the hope in the world for you guys. Your life will feel a lot more manageable at times because you're going to allow yourself to be that human being. I hope that you take that forward in your life. I hope that others take that forward in theirs. And that goes for everybody, though, because the reason that I address the men when it comes to that is that men are typically the ones that have the issues with vulnerability and crying. But this message is to be heard by everyone because the women feel this way at times too. And they will choke back those tears and they will hold it all in and they feel that they always got to be on the up and up. The truth is we've been given all of these emotions for a reason, all of these feelings. And it's so important to acknowledge every single one of them. I don't want to hide from any emotion or feeling anymore. I want to feel every single one that comes my way because I'm going to learn from it. Happiness, joy, fear, euphoria, love, heartache, grief, all of it. Because these emotions and these feelings can be your own worst enemy or your own greatest teacher. And you know, when you take the time to sit with them, you no longer store it somewhere in your body. Because I tell people that just because you've carried it well all these years does not mean that it wasn't heavy. 
You know, and some of the stuff that we have been carrying around in our lives was never ours to carry in the first place. So it's time for us to, to start learning what we can put down, how can we put that down, and when to put things down. It's been a beautiful journey. And since I've learned how to cry, my life has become a lot more manageable. I am so proud of myself because at the hardest times of my life, when I should have cried, I wouldn't. I wouldn't allow myself to. I bury that feeling right away and answer it with rage. But that made my life a lot, a lot more difficult than it needed to be. It was only when, you know, and I, this is how I like to put it for others, you know, that, you know, for years I could not heal because I just kept pretending that I wasn't hurt. And I always repeat that to the crowd. I say, it's so important you guys understand this. For years, I could not heal because I just kept pretending that I wasn't hurt. It was only when I began to acknowledge my life, my story, the trauma that I've endured, everything that I've been through, only then was I be able, able to begin my healing journey. And I've come so far in the last few years alone, in the last year alone, in the last six months, that I am so incredibly proud of myself because, you know, I couldn't cry at the hardest times of my life, but now, now that I can, you should have saw me at the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cried like a baby watching the Avengers, and I still do. And, you know, that to me is growth. That's tremendous growth. And I could be sitting at home on any day, any given day watching, you know, say I'm scrolling Facebook or TikTok or something. And proposal videos, reunions, all that kind of stuff, oh, all the, those feel good. The military reunions? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I will sit here and I will just start crying. And I'm like, man, look at me now. <laughs> you know, I couldn't cry at the hardest times of my life. But now this little 30 second video has me crying here. That's growth. I'm so proud of myself. And... It's true, though, you know, we are meant to cry. We are human beings. And it's the first ceremony that we ever took part in when we came into this world, you know, crying is so powerful and we all need to do it. And it's only when we allow ourselves to be that human being, to be vulnerable and stuff. That's when we begin our healing journeys. And that is what true strength is. True strength is not how much weights you can lift or how good you think you can fight or how bad you think you are or whatever. That's not what true strength is. True strength is for everybody is what we are willing to do for the betterment of ourselves and our loved ones. How far are we willing to go? But if you notice, the first thing that I addressed is for ourselves. So many people think that being strong means we always got to just be taking care of our loved ones, taking care of our kids, taking care of our, our family, our siblings, whatever. But we need to realize that a part, a huge part of that is we need to take care of ourselves because nobody in this world can pour from, it, from an empty cup. So taking good care of ourselves is also taking good care of our loved ones on so many levels because we lead that example you know, we take that time to fill up our cup and now we have even more love to share with the world. And so while we're learning about all that, I always say, all that love that you have to give to the world, I want you to know that it's okay to give that love to yourself too. 
You know, you have so much love to give out. I want you to start giving some of that love to yourself because you deserve to love yourself. You always have. And, you know, when we learn to love ourselves, we really begin to learn about who we are. We really begin to learn what it means to take care of ourselves. And I was so grateful that question was asked of me a couple of years ago because that has helped me to grow by leaps and bounds in my life. Um, a lady asked me, she says, can I ask you a question? She came and complimented me after a presentation. She says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Do you love yourself? And when she said that, I burst out laughing because the way that my brain interpreted this was, are you full of yourself? Are you cocky and arrogant? Mm -hmm. But that's because of the society that I was raised up in, you know? And she said, when I started laughing, she was, I'm serious. Do you love yourself? And I thought, oh, I think so. And she says, well, I think that's something you need to figure out. And so much more will make sense in your life. So I left from that event and I'm driving down the road. And I start getting mad. I'm like, man, I am 30 years old. Why is this question so hard? Why can't I even begin to answer this? And I'm getting mad, getting mad. And I decided to put that anger down because I'm not asking myself the right questions here. Took a deep breath and decided to find the right questions. Like, okay. Do I love myself? And if so, what does that look like? What does loving myself look like? And so I had to start figuring that out. And when I share this question with crowds, I say, this is a question that I think you guys should take the time to sit with yourself. But I want you to know the answer is going to be different for every single person in this room. But it's so important that we learn how to love ourselves. And since I've learned to love myself, I have grown by leaps and bounds. And I'm so grateful that woman asked me that question that day. And I say, here's a gentle way for you to begin that journey for yourself. The first step that I had to start taking when I began thinking, trying to find that answer is, I decided to look in the mirror one day. And I know all about positive affirmations. You know, Positive affirmations is when you say good things about yourself. Because the beautiful thing about affirmations and I like to reference to Bruce Lee in this, is Bruce Lee would always say, don't say bad things about yourself. Not even as a joke, because your brain doesn't know the difference. And how many times in life are we so quick to voice our mistakes, our flaws, our insecurities, whatever, right? And we, we'll beat ourselves up. We're so quick to announce that to the world. If we drop our phone and it happens to get a crack in it or something, man... What is wrong with me? Why am I so clumsy? Why am I this? Why am I that? We're so quick to announce all of this. But do we ever give ourselves the credit where it's due? Do we ever say, hey, you know what? I have been doing a really good job lately. I am so proud of myself. We never really say that. We stray away from that all the time. So... 
the beautiful side of uh, the beautiful other side of that coin that Bruce Lee was was talking about here about don't say bad things about yourself. Your brain won't know the difference because you will begin to convince yourself and believe yourself, right? But the beautiful other side of that coin is if you say good things about yourself, you will begin to believe it. And it's going to feel weird at first because we're not used to giving ourselves credit where it's due. We're not used to giving ourselves those props and being proud of ourselves. But I had to start figuring this out. So I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, okay, I'll look in the mirror and I'll say some good things here. And I was like, all right, start making eye contact with myself in the mirror. And I was like, I love myself. (laughs) I looked away. (laughs) It's like, I'm a good man. I deserve to be happy. And I just kept looking away. (laughs) I could not for the life of me begin to believe this. But I thought, you know what? Of course it's going to feel this way. Because this is a huge step in the right direction and I'm not used to it. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone here. And when we step outside of our comfort zone, we grow. So just decided to try it that first day. It felt weird as ever, you know, like it was hard. The next day, I tried again. I love myself. And now I'm not looking away so hard, you know. (laughs) And each day that I would say this, what happened was I began to believe it a bit more. Now I can look in the mirror And I can confidently say, I love myself. I am a good man. I am a good father. I deserve to live a good life. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to love myself with the same love that I have to give to the world. These are all very true things. We deserve to be proud of ourselves. We deserve to love ourselves. And when we do this, Man, life becomes so different. You begin to look at things differently. You begin to look at yourself differently. You begin to feel differently. So I always leave people with this exercise before I leave a presentation. I say, now because these words have helped me so much in my life, I want to share them with you. And I give them that whole question and everything like that. I say, but these three words have helped me to grow so much in my life. I love myself. And I explained to them how hard it was to say it at first, everything that I've shared with you guys here. I say on the count of three, though, I want you guys to to join in with me in saying this. And it's going to feel weird at first. But you know what? The more we say it, the more we're going to believe it. So on the count of three, I want you guys to all join in with me. And first time, they'll they'll just really kind of mumble it. I love myself. Everyone goes like that. I say, come on. You guys can do it a little bit better than that. I say, and then they'll go. Second time around, I love myself. And you can feel the energy in that second time around. So I say, you know what? Look at how much better you guys got that second time around. Why don't we try it a third time? Third time's a charm. Count of three, and then I'll say one, two, three. Now they shout it at the top of their lungs. I love myself. And, oh, man, goosebumps. And, you know, such a good feeling. And I love that when I came and shared that here in the school. So many kids had come up to me afterwards, and they're like, I just wanted to tell you that when you had to say those words, I felt differently in my body. I don't know how to describe it, but I felt different and I felt good. And I say, do you see how powerful you are? You see how much power your words carry? Now look at how different and good you felt from that first time saying it. 
first day saying it. Now imagine after seven days, two weeks, one month, one year. The more that you say it, the more that you will believe it, the more you will believe that you deserve to take care of yourself all along. So it's been a, those three words are life-changing and so huge and grateful to share that with everybody. And normally my closing question would um, be what advice would you give youth? But I feel like this whole entire conversation was a little, was all filled with advice. So obviously I asked you to be here today. So I have something to give you as an offering because I did ask you for something. So I have this for you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love that. Thank you for joining us today and teaching me and you and a lot of, a lot of things that maybe we didn't realize about ourselves and the people around us. So absolutely. And before we close this off, I want to say that I'm so proud of you guys for doing this. You know what? I'm proud of you too. Oh, thank you. You know, like seeing young people out here doing these kinds of things and taking this, you know, initiative to have these conversations. Some of these conversations can be hard, Mm -hmm. but the fact that you guys are doing this and opening this door for yourselves, you are opening this door for so many others too, because you have more of an impact on this world than you may realize right now. And by having these conversations, these conversations create awareness. This awareness helps people to open that door for themselves in their lives. So I'm so proud of you guys for doing something like this. And I'm so honored that you guys asked me to come and be a part of this. You know, I was so excited when I received that email and I was like, holy man, you know, like (laughs) they're asking me to come down. I was just been telling everybody I'm going to a high school to go to a podcast. I was like, man, that's amazing. Where else do you hear that in any other school? Right. So you guys keep doing what you're doing, you know, and I always tell people if you stay learning, You are going to stay growing, but most importantly, stay being you. And so to the both of you and to you both of us well over there, stay being who you are because, you know, you are opening doors for yourselves and you're opening doors for others. And this kind of stuff is needed and necessary. And, you know, I hope that anyone that listens into this uh, podcast, you know, this, well, that maybe they will take something with themselves going forward. And I hope that I answered a lot of, I hope I answered your guys' questions because I know I can talk a lot and I try to connect the dots for you guys. So that's why I kind of have these huge long answers. Cause when we, when we go to treat something, like, uh, when we go to try to identify something, we have to connect those dots. When it comes to addiction, you can't just treat addiction. You have to treat the trauma. That's how they will overcome the addiction. So it's connecting those dots. So that was why I had such long answers for you guys. (laughs) It's okay. It's perfect. I hope that you guys take some from it, but thank you guys so much for having me. And thank you for, for this year. That's a beautiful way to honor that. And miigwech to the both of you. I really mean that. Thank you. I think that uh, we should do something before we end off. Uh, maybe we should do the three words that you're talking uh, that about. That is a great <laughs> idea. You know what? I was thinking that yeah, too. Everybody I, in this room. Is <laughs> you know what? Yes, that is an absolutely fantastic uh, I was hoping idea. you wouldn't say that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we need it. See that? It's so needed. So on count of three, we should all just say, I love myself. Okay. All right. So one, two, three. I, I love, love myself. myself. <laughs> Let's do it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do a good enough. Yeah, there we go. So count, count of three again. One, two, three.
I love myself. See, you believed it a little bit more last Hopefully the people around. listening joined in on that too. Yeah. Absolutely. I want you guys, <laughs> if you are listening, to join in with us on this third time here because the third time is always a charm. So count of three. One, two, three. I love myself. <laughs> now, if you look around the room, look at those smiles. Everybody's smiling. <laughs> Everybody's smiling. That is beautiful. Thank you for suggesting that. I love that. Thank you guys both so much. Thank this has you. been an absolute honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. We appreciate that.